Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Melanated Faith Podcast. Today, we have a special bonus episode for you. I know we just said our farewells, but we told you we would be back here and there. And we just felt like we have a lot to talk about, some really important things, and we do not want to miss out on sharing this moment together. So, Catherine, let's dive into it. Yes. So, yeah, I'm happy to be back to discuss kind of a historic um, event this weekend in our nation's history. The um, president-elect Joseph Biden and vice president-elect Kamala Harris, um, who is the first black woman. She's Caribbean. She's Indian. Um, she is actually not the first woman of color or person of color. I learned that there was a vice president that was actually um, Native American a hundred or so years ago. So, but the first woman of color <laughs> um, to serve as vice president of the United States. So Faith, tell me how you're feeling. I think one of my initial feelings was just feeling a sigh of relief. I, um, I wrote this this week and I really think that this is true. I believe that I have suppressed a lot of feelings of like anxiousness and anxiety and the sigh of relief is almost like a like release in the pressure valve of like your emotions. And it's also given me a lot of empathy for my ancestors. There's like different things and moments in time that my grandmother just does not remember. Or I try to ask her about certain things and um, or her um, or her grandfather. And she didn't really have much contact with him or know him very much um, because he was like a very lighter skinned man, basically white. I think he was mixed with white. Um, and she talked about how he did not want to talk to her mother or have interaction with her mother, um, which would be his daughter, because she was too dark. And it really just caused me to think in those moments of like, what have our grandparents and great-grandparents probably subliminally pushed down emotions like traumas that they just did not deal with for the sake of survival. And um, in some ways, I felt like I think there's some things that I was just like pushing down in my and I had like this like kind of like this pressure valve that could have exploded. Um, but I kind of breathed a slight, right, like a, a, a apprehensive um, sigh of relief. And so it's really causing me to think a lot about um, the ways that we show up in the world and how, um, man, maybe these are some ways that my ancestors were feeling or did they ever get to breathe a sigh of relief, really, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I've been thinking about a lot of those aspects, but I do feel like for the moment, for yesterday, I for sure let myself breathe a little easier. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think I posted on Instagram about my grandmother who died in April and just thinking about um, like her legacy, like the whole time, you know, the last couple of weeks, um, you know, she didn't get to vote till she was like in her 40s and you know, being a Southern black woman and, you know, she was very hilarious in that she refused early vote. She was convinced that they threw early votes out. <laughs> and we would be like, Granny, we all early vote. Our votes are not thrown out. And she'd be like, how do you know? So she only, some in her mind, only votes 
the only safe votes were the ones that are cast on election day. Um, but she taught that to my mom. And I remember like one of the first things about turning 18 was like registering to vote um, mm. and going with my mom to vote for like school board. So like I've always had a history of voting for everything all the way down the ballot. I don't, you know, you know, some people have sporadic voting history. They only vote in elect, uh, when, when there's a presidential election. That is not the tradition mm. in the Freeman household. Um, and so just thinking about her and, yeah, like the legacy of I think of anybody who is clear eyed about what this country is and is not. It is black people. Our experience will not allow us. I think we always are carrying with us both hope and sorrow, this sort of peace and justice, um, rest mm -hmm. and work kind of thing, because it's like, yeah, we fought for it. And it's just this idea of like, I allowed my, I'm, I'm happy. And I, I agree with you. I did not realize, I think the amount of tension I was carrying in my body that just released. I mean, I, I was crying. I was weepy all week. It was just on, like, mm -hmm. just, I think I would think about my grandmother. I would think about John Lewis. Um, I don't know if yes. I've told this story before, but I met him once, once um, at this event and got invited to this, like, small group that he was speaking at. And he asked us, you know, he was asking for if anybody had any questions based on his speech. And no one else raised their hand. And of course, I mean, it's John Lewis. I'm, I'm going to ask him a question. <laughs> and I asked him, <laughs> and this was like, like maybe in 2017 so like right maybe a year or so and he gets so close he walks towards me to answer the question and the question I asked him is how do you maintain hope because you were like what given what you've seen in this country and where we are at that moment how do you maintain hope how do you keep going forward and he said he was like well he's like you wouldn't you can't go forward without hope and he's like you just keep wor working you keep doing the next thing God has given you in front of you um and he said you know he's like we're not where we used to be I mean he was like when I was 20 and I was being beaten you know I never thought in my lifetime I would see a black president and we had Barack Obama and so I don't know like I I think, you know, John Lewis is emblematic of a lot of our grandparents, right? Like very clear eyed mm -hmm. about what this country is and is not. Um, but somehow, you know, gets <laughs> get up and we keep fighting. And um, it was just I don't know. It just is like a huge, beautiful moment. I so wish my grandmother could have lived to see um, the first black woman vice president. Um, but I take solace in that she did get to see the first black president. Um, yeah. But, you know, for all of the black women, the ones we know, um, for Shirley, Shirley Chisholm and Barbara Jordan and um, the ones we don't, you know, um, I just feel elation for them. And I was going to say, the other thing I think it's like, when I think about Kamala, I don't know how you're feeling about this, but... Someone brought this to my attention the other day. It's like typically with women of color, anytime you're the first woman of color, or black woman or whatever, a white woman has usually gone first. And the fact that mm -hmm. <laughs> she is the first, she is the first. I mean, like how incredibly rare it is that we get to be first at any sort of milestone um, among women is just incredible. And so, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm feeling still on cloud nine you guys saw on instagram i stress baked all week um, yes yes but, oh my goodness but yeah i feel yeah i feel a little bit of like like can exhale can breathe yeah and i'm just sitting here listening to you talk about john lewis and i just like knew the minute you talked about him i was gonna like tear up <laughs> i'm like crying now but um it's just i think one thing that like i've been like pondering and like trying to 
find the words and also not putting pressure on myself to feel like I have to explain things. But it's like, I don't think people in this country, majority of the people in this country understand what it feels like to live in the tensions that black people have to live within. And that emotional terror and racial terror that you like experience. I mean, even just that short time I lived in South Carolina, the atmosphere was so tense and you could literally like you could feel it. And it's like, I don't know if people understand what that's like to live within conditions where you can feel how your humanity kind of hangs in the balance. And um, and to choose, like you're saying, to have hope and go on anyhow. Right. Because it's we're not where we want to be, but we're in a better place than we were before, you know, kind of like John Lewis was saying. And so it's just interesting to hold those like tensions, um, kind of like you're saying, I love how you said it. And also to continue to carry on and hope. And I just think that's something that makes us as black people so resilient is our willingness to hang on to hope and to keep going um, regardless of what we, just the landscape we see. But it's so funny because a lot of the tweets that I saw, it's like kind of like what you're saying, like, we're celebrating, but it's like, we're so happy today we work tomorrow, yeah. right? Like, we're not like away from that, yeah. the mindset that there's more work to do. Well, I just think, you know, and to to your point, I mean, I think I tweeted this, but Black people don't need to be told there's more work to do. So any moment of joy or solace that we can have, please don't well actually us. Please don't. I, it, I was so annoyed yesterday with people who were just like, I don't know why you guys are celebrating. Uh, like, you know, there's there's still work to be done. And it is like, we know I, I wasn't born yesterday. I, I, right. I, I've never not worked. You know, you know what I mean? Or it's just like to your point of like, you know, you have to be so careful. I mean, I remember like going to visit you when you were in Greenville, I like was driving from Asheville and like having to go to bathroom so bad, like the last 30 minutes of the thing. But I'm like, I can't stop. I don't know anything in this area. I'm in South Carolina. I don't want to get snatched. And mind you, I had just driven by, like there's a huge stretch of highway between Asheville and Greenville, where it's just Confederate flags. All the way down. And then like the closest restaurant is like something Dixie. And it's like I can't I can't walk in there like to go to the bathroom I I could be murdered I don't want to end up on the news like and it's just like and some of this doesn't go away like with the new president but I think people underestimate the ways in which it was horrifying I I I don't think I can fully put into words what it felt like to watch what happened in Charlottesville. And then to have the leader of the free world say that there were good people on both sides. And I just felt like, and to feel like part of what makes racism so horrible is like who gets the benefit of the doubt? And it's never black people. It's never us. Yeah. It's never us. And so the idea that like, I'm sure maybe those people go to church. I don't know. But to equate whatever they were doing you will not replace us with people who were protesting, who were saying, we want a country where black li- black and brown lives matter, where people are treated with respect, where there's equality, where there's justice, with people who are literally saying, we don't want people of color here because we feel like you're going to replace us. Nah, fam. Like, no, 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 no. So I will, you know, I'm going to celebrate. And I just, I feel so bad for people of color that are in 
spaces where they feel like they cannot celebrate this momentous occasion. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know if I've told the story. My dad was a Republican. Like, my parents, uh, my dad was, and he still is, is very socially conservative. Um, but he voted Republican up until Obama. <laughs> and I, we basically had a whole conversation about, um, I, I feel like part of what switched him or why he voted for Obama is he's like, I just could not, like, as much as our ancestors have given to this country to not not vote for the first black president would feel like kind of like a betrayal. Um, Mm -hmm. But so many people didn't. And I feel like so many people of color feel like they have to hide or they can't celebrate because um, they're in spaces where they would be called baby killers or, (laughs) or I don't know, murderers. And I just, that makes me sad because this is huge. Considering where our ancestors started that, you know, they did not want us here. They did not want us to thrive. They didn't want to create a space for us. Think about Emmett Till and Reese Taylor and Fannie Lou Hamer, who had like a third grade education and yes. couldn't even vote in like the state primary to a Kamala Harris. And we're talking like, what, like 50 or 40 years time from Fannie Lou Hamer to Kamala Harris. Like, that's yeah, crazy. That's true, true. It is so true. And it's so, this is interesting. I've never really shared this widespread publicly, but this, um, so kind of like your um, parents, um, in a lot of ways, I think my parents like coming up were um, more conservative um, and voted more Republican. I think some of that maybe switched for probably for my dad, I think a little bit more. And my mom was more of just like an independent. She's also been more of like a politically independent person. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I didn't vote for Obama. I voted independent like both of his elections. I was one of those throwaway votes not helping anything. <laughs> and um, but I was so steeped in conservative evangelical culture where all you heard and knew was that exactly what you're saying, you're gonna be called a baby killer, you're gonna be this, this, and this. And I was not I remember feeling conflicted and by this his second term I think I thought to myself like I wish I would have just made my own decision and voted for him like why didn't I yeah. you know but I remember sitting there on election night being so happy and proud that he won and feeling the freedom to feel that way and there's some things that like I'm definitely processing but I I hold some grief yeah that I was in environments where white evangelicalism really caused a lot of people to have their allegiance to that ideology, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, in a way where I feel like people of color have felt stifled. Yeah. Um, and I can't even fully put it all into like the exact words, but I just know that that's like a set of grief that I feel like I've been continuously processing and to be at a different place now and a point in time like where I've been able to, you know, think and process on my own, especially after having such traumatic in certain ways college experiences um, from the time, I guess you could say like from 2008 on, it's been such an interesting like transformation for me in my own adulthood, in my own identity and my own faith. And to be here on this side and to be a part of seeing Kamala make history as a black South Asian 
woman as vice president in the first, just like you were saying, um, and it not being like she came after a white woman, it feels so special. And I'm just so thankful that I'm at, at a place in life and an appreciation and and not in a place of fear. I think I really carried some fear, like, like are these people that I'm in community with going to excommunicate me or, you know what I mean? Like just things like that, like being out of those spaces where I'm not even fearful of that, but where I can like actually celebrate without fear of judgment or what people are thinking of me or are these people going to be mad at me? Like the fact that I've been able to find a community, a healthy, godly, faithful community to feel safe and free in has been, I think, one of the greatest gifts that has happened to me. And I've talked to some other friends. And so I know that like, I'm not the only one that has felt this way. Right. And so, um, it feels, it feels good. And it also makes me feel hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, I still, I mean, I voted for, I mean, I think my first presidential election was 2004. I voted for George W. Bush and I still split my ticket. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I would say I'm probably like a, a pragmatist or a realist about, <laughs> I think you work in politics for 10 years and you just realize there are good people um, in many different forms. And, um, and I think people prioritize issues differently. Um, I think the problem has become white evangelicalism has become so synonymous with Republican and like you have to vote this way. Um, And to your point, I think it's so interesting how like for people that were supporters of, you know, President Trump, um, when he would things like Charlottesville would come up or, you know, you know, he you know, the what he has done on the border in terms of like demolishing the refugee and asylum program, it'd always be like, I had so many conversations where people were like, we don't like the tweets or we don't support that, but this is why we like him for judges or, you know, whatever. And then it's like, but then if you vote Democratic, it's your baby killer. I can't, I can't say, well, I don't support that. I support, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I support civil rights for Black people. I support criminal justice reform. I support paid family leave. I support limiting rate caps on payday lenders. Like, that's why I'm voting for Democrats. Like, And somehow, again, who gets the benefit of the doubt? If you're a white evangelical and you vote Republican, everybody, you are entitled to the benefit of the doubt in a way that a black person that votes for a Democrat is not. And I just think there has to be some like there has to be some evaluation. Like it cannot be, you know, like to me, like looking forward, like what does this mean for the church? As someone who is always hopeful about unity and reconciliation and the church on earth looking how Jesus Christ always intended it. It cannot be always the honest on Black people or people of color to conform to what are essentially cultural ideas about what it means to be a Christian, not biblical. Like, to be clear, like, your sort of fear, like, this might be revolutionary for some people, but there are going to be Democrats and Republicans in heaven. There are going to be socialists in heaven. There might be someone who grew up in a communist regime in heaven. (laughs) And you know why? Mm -hmm. Because the only thing that is required according to scripture is to believe with your mouth and confess with your heart. Your politics have nothing to do with your admittance into heaven. And I feel like there has been, there's so much policing of the theology, of the politics, of the dress for Black women. What does it mean to be a biblical woman? And it's like, People aren't, we're not even evaluating, are these biblical principles? Are these are just our cultural preferences? And I just, 
you know, I think more Christians, discernment, guys, like <laughs> really learning to read the Bible for yourself, what it says, what it doesn't say. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, reading widely, like outside of your preferred tribe, whether it's Republican or Democrat, like theologically, and learning how to like chew the meat <laughs> and spit out the bones. <laughs> um, because I just really, I think we will not fully know what sort of the alliance between Republicanism and power and nationalism has done to the witness. I mean, I it's going to take a while to repair what it's done. And, you know, I know some people don't like that. It's like touchy-feely. But I mean, like if you're on a college campus and you're talking to kids who are Christians who grew up in the church who feel like there's not a place for me because I care about climate change or I care about like Black Lives Matter, um, you know, and they basically become nuns. They leave the church. Like you got to have an, <laughs> we got to have an answer for them because like Jesus has something to say about all of that. And I just feel like we have an incomplete witness. And I just, I would hope that there'd be some deep soul searching and a reality that like, we can't pretend like they're not issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. And it's kind of like what you're saying Reminds me of some conversations that I've seen happening, you know, in terms of like just what you were talking about with um, earlier. You you mentioned how some people have kind of been like, you know, almost like, OK, like not allowing people to have their moment, like to celebrate and kind of bringing it back to this like peace, peace moment or, you know, now it's time for us to bring those people back into the fold and like, how are we going to help them? But it's like, man, why is it that as people of color, we're always required to be on the front lines of repairing what is broken and we don't ask and require that of other people? Why are you saying peace, peace now? And why haven't you been saying peace, peace this whole time and asking people to come to peace to us and not just us to come to peace with them? Um, There's something to be said of that. It's almost as if for Black people, and I'm going to speak specifically to Black people because it's like my, I'm coming from my personal um, framework, but it's almost like a requirement to have our open-handedness and forgiveness and to deal with the terror and everything and to say, okay, like, we'll see, they didn't know. So just, let's just, you know, help them come back to their way. And it's, it's, um, it's tough because it's like, but no, we need to have a talk about what actual biblical reconciliation looks like. And there has to be acknowledgement before we can even reach a point of reconciliation. And there's so many people who still refuse to acknowledge, but yet we are called to once again become this bridge to people who have never wanted to be a bridge back to us. And so I think for me, when I think of like, what does this mean for the church? I think it's time for the church to have an outcry of repentance and to truly, truly denounce racism in a way the church has not done so. Um, my like hope and like prayer has been lately, like I want racism to grieve the hearts of people in this country so much so that it's beyond a moment. It's beyond just George Floyd and feeling bad in the summer and then going back to having the ability to not care anymore. But it's like this so, like I'm so convicted. Like I am so convicted that I have held the status quo. I'm so convicted that I have allowed this to ideology to control my mind, to fill my spirit. Like I am burdened. I am burdened 
to pray, to seek God, and to believe that He can come in and transform my heart and life and my community. Like, I'm talking people who really want to acknowledge, repent, turn away from, and then we can move towards some repair. But this isn't just like a, okay, let's just kumbaya. No, we we have to have the acknowledgement, the repair. Like we have to have this point. And everybody wants to is, is skip the acknowledgement, skip the, the grief and the repentance and go to repair. And that's just not going to hold up. That's what we've tried to do in this country. Well, let's not really talk about what we've done, but see, like, we'll give you, we'll, you know, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, we'll do this, we'll do that. That that hasn't fixed the issues in this country. And we have to face the truth in order to truly heal. And sometimes I think some people aren't willing to do the work that it's going to take for us to get to that place of healing. And it's the hard truth. And it's that deep repentance that must happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, and like for me personally, I black people are some of the most forgiving people. Um, you know, just, you know, one of one of we the are. critiques I have of, of the black church is sometimes they're a little too forgiving. <laughs> These men end up right back in the pulpit when it's like, no, sir, you you need to you need to sit down. This this you, you need to be sat down. Um, but yeah. I do think that there's a thing like I'm gonna forgive. Because that's about, to me, me and my relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think if you're trying to, like, live into what you're talking about, like, reconciliation, there has to be repentance before there's repair. And I think even just even—I mean, even just, like, biblically, like, just thinking about, like, Jesus when, you know, people came to him— um, for healing, he would heal them, but then he would say, you know, your sins have been forgiven. Like there has to be, you know, a confession mm-hmm. of, there has to be a confession and there has to be to to experience the fullness of healing. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I think that it's like one of those things where with racism, I just, if we could prioritize according to scripture, the marginalized, the impoverished, the, I mean, I just think the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And I feel like as Americans, this is true. I mean, I think I struggle with this in different ways. I'm totally a consumer. I love to shop and the Lord is working on that mentality. Um, But I just think we are so primed to prioritize our own family, our own security, our own wealth, our own taxes. I'm not going to lie. My 401k did great under President Trump. It was awesome. I am like thrilled (laughs) about that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, it's not just about me and my (laughs) financial security, right? Like as someone who went to those camps in El Paso and saw 13 and 14-year-old kids who were like, Thank God that I made it. I I will never forget in my mind. I think she was 15 years old from Honduras. And we're sitting around and we're talking. And she's like, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. And I was like, oh, you are? Tell me your favorite Bible verse. And it was something like Jeremiah 31, 33, 30, I don't know, where it's like, you know, God is with you and he will take care of you and he loves you and is like so attentive to your needs. Or It, it, it just was like, so then to me, it's like, this girl is my sister in Christ. And, and I cannot prioritize my four. 401k over a human being created in the image of God. And that's that's the reality of what I'm thinking when I'm walking into the voting booth. Yeah. I'm thinking about those kids who just want to be reunited with their families, who are, some are in the United States, some who were sent back. And I just, 
I can't let that go. Like I could not mm-hmm. sleep at night thinking, I just can't let that go. That's just my own thing. And I just think that like, we have to have an expansive view of what that looks like. You know, you're talking about pro-life from the womb to the tomb. like, And I just think that there is, we have gotten severely off track and away from that. And I just, my hope for the church is that this is a, you know, I have a realistic hope. (laughs) This is, would be a sort of come to Jesus of like, that scales would fall from people's eyes and that they would be burdened. And the idea that to your point, you know, people did read all the books. (laughs) I saw some tweet that was like all these black, you know, Tasha and Austin and all these black authors were on (laughs) the, you know, New York Times bestseller list this summer. And it's like, well, what did you do? What did you do with the book? What did you do with the book? Was it an ornament? I mean, did you give it to a friend? But this idea that like racism and colonialism, I mean, this stuff is deep. We're talking about the first slave traders showed up in Africa in like the 1500s. And so to think that we are going to dismantle with one book, one conversation, one be the bridge group, that this is not going to be the work of our lives and maybe our children's lives. I mean, John Lewis was 80 years old and he Mm -hmm. was still working and still being arrested. And I just feel like we have a very, to your point, a very weak commitment to justice, that we want justice, but we don't want to give up power. We don't want to give up comfort. And, I, you know, for Christians that are listening, I don't know about you, but in the Bible I read, (laughs) Jesus Christ gave up all power, all authority, (laughs) you know, to come down on this earth to save you so that you could have some relationship with him. And so this sort of self-emptying, the sort of humility— of Christ um, as our example. So this idea that you can have justice, there, there can, and I'm learning mm-hmm. that sort of the the New Testament word for righteousness and the Old Testament word for justice are very similar, that in some places they can actually be interchanged. So like we have the righteousness of Christ because of his death. So like this idea that we can achieve mm-hmm. justice without giving up power, without emptying ourselves without humility. It's just not even the example we find in scripture. And that's all I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. I don't know why I'm so weepy. Maybe it's because like I hung out with my girlfriends earlier and we just were talking about life and being black women and um, just all kind of different things that we've experienced. And, you know, we ended up talking and like praying together at the end of it. But one of the things that I feel like is so important to me and I talked to them about is, yes, there have been those really tough moments in my faith where I was in predominantly like white evangelical circles and I've had to find my identity, fight for my identity, figure out my faith, what I believed, like all of these things. But I am so grateful that my faith is not hinged upon what culture has defined being Christian to be, you know? Say that, say that. I was just talking to them and I was like, I am so grateful that my faith, my belief in Jesus is not hinged on culture. And I no longer have this inner fear in me of what certain white people are going to think from certain phases of my life of me because the hope and the anchor for my soul is Jesus. And it's not this culture. And it's not what people are saying. And it's 
the fact that time and time again, trial after trial after trial, I continue to show up and say thanks and praise to God for allowing me to be here, for keeping me, for allowing me to see a Black South Asian woman in the White House, and not only for me to see it, but for my niece to see it and other young girls to believe that they too can do that thing. We win when we choose not to allow the oppression and the racism in the air that we breathe suffocate us. And every day that I wake up and I choose to breathe in spite of hate and fear and anything that would try to stifle my purpose and the plan that God has for my life, I am grateful that I trust God and I choose to fight in spite of, because I am not allowing, I refuse to allow any of this stuff to crush my faith in God. And so I just think that for me, I've learned that God is the anchor for my soul. And what you said, Catherine, was so powerful. Like just being a social worker, one thing I realized, and I asked myself a question starting in like, you know, college. It's really when I start like a lot of my questions of faith started when I left home and was still in these Christian school environments. I had to ask myself a lot of questions about faith I just didn't ask. But one thing was once I became a social worker, I remember thinking Christian college never prepared me for the real world. I was in a bubble. These people are hurting. They are broken. Um, Foster care and adoption is not as cut and dry as people believe that it is. People who are impoverished and homeless can lose their child simply for the fact that they're homeless, but minimum wage is still $7.25 and nobody wants to raise minimum wage so these people can actually keep their kids and raise their kids and, oh, wait, let's cut Medicaid. Oh, wait, let's cut SNAP. Let's cut all the things so these people can actually keep the kids that they birth that they actually really want to keep, but they can't because they can't afford it because, once again, minimum wage is $7.25. Why does this not break anyone's heart? Why are people being complicit? Why are we not grieving about the kids at the border? I I should not see people have more compassion for Black kids in Africa, in different countries within that continent, um, versus the Black children here in America. And we we have work to do. And so I think my heart is that like you, Catherine, I have seen with my own two eyes up close and in person and not just from a distance, the lives of these people that people are writing bills about that are on paper. They're real people and far too many people are removed. If you haven't seen a person or interacted with or been around a person who's in a marginalized community or have had like literally face-to-face interaction relationships with these people, then you really don't know what you're talking about. And it's a problem, right? Because you aren't able to humanize these people. And so my hope for people is that they would truly become brokenhearted and truly want to be a part of making change and be okay with speaking up and being shunned and be more committed to the gospel than their pocketbooks and their followers and your and your Patreons and your book sales. Be about the people of God. And my goodness, if Jesus could do it, like you're saying, Catherine, sacrificing all power, all money, all source of accolades for the people of God so they could live after he dies, girl, let me, anyway, I'm about to start preaching. Let me get, let me just get off this. Well, so that you, no, but see, this is the thing. This is the thing I was reading this week. It's uh, in the last, um, and now I can't remember. You know, Jesus asked the disciples, y'all can leave. 
And they say to him, but to whom would we go? And I feel like that is the legacy of our faith. That's what I, when I think about my grandmother, who hoped against hope, who did not see everything that she, who she got to see a lot. But I just think of her mother and her mother's mother, who were just like praying women and believed that God is good and what he says is true, despite all evidence to the contrary. You know, I don't have, my hope is not in in Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. My hope remains in Jesus. He is the anchor for my soul. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to celebrate this because so many of our people gave their lives and prayed on their faces. I think about Mamie Till looking over her son's casket. Yes. Kamala Harris matters. And if you can't understand that, why that would matter, why that would matter to people who have been cast out and told you don't belong, you're the wrong size, you're too dark— you're too noisy. You're too loud. You've got an attitude to watch this woman ascend to the almost to the highest office in the free world. Please have compassion for people and have empathy, even if it, it, it even if you are worried about religious liberty. I get it. I get it. I get it. Believe me, I get it. I've worked in policy. I've worked on that issue. I get it. But please have compassion. Have empathy for people who have had doors shut in their faces, who've had to sit at tables where they're unvalued, where they're not treated with dignity, have compassion and let let us have this moment. And it is not to say, again, that our hope, you know, that, you know, maybe the life, my life won't substantially change for the better or worse with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in office. But there are some DACA kids <laughs> That went to bed on Saturday night and know that they're not going to be deported, that know that they're going to be able to follow their dreams. They're going to be able to be nurses and doctors and contribute to the country, the only country they've ever known. And that matters. And I just would hope that as a church, I think, yes, we need to tell the truth and we need to have repentance. But Mm. a revolution in empathy and humility that you don't know everything, (laughs) that you've not had every experience— and that you would just be able to open your heart to people who are different. If, if your theology doesn't have anything to say to the mother on the other side of the border who has traveled days and days and days so that her son can grow up in a place free of gang violence, of being murdered, you know, it's just, you're missing out so much. And part of it is like, it breaks my heart. Honestly, this is the truth. It, it breaks my heart that there are people that don't know the fullness of who Jesus is. Because he has something to say about that mother. And he, he has something to say. He had something for Mamie Till. He had something for Fannie Lou Hamer. And you yeah. don't know all of who Jesus is if you don't know that word. And I just, it breaks my heart because, y'all, he is so good. He is so good. Um He's so good. And I just feel like some of us have had very limited experiences of that goodness because we have trapped ourselves in these boxes that are cultural and not biblical. And, you know, I just, yeah. And mm. I, the other thing I'll say is for the people of color, Black women that are listening, people that yeah. can't celebrate with you in this moment, or even, even if they don't want to celebrate, people that can't even just like give you the space to feel however you're feeling. You know, I am a someone who does not believe in cutting people off because you have different politics. Like, 
I have friends of varying political beliefs. Depending on the issue, I have different beliefs. But I just think that part of what it means to be in community, to love your neighbor as yourself, is to treat people with kindness and respect and empathy. And like yelling at people on Facebook and social media, like, how can you celebrate these baby killers, is not that. (laughs) And so you can set appropriate boundaries with people. Like, please take this as permission to set boundaries with people. Um, Yeah. Because that is damaging. I think, Faith, your story is, you know— an example of that is it it does you do feel like a little piece of you is being um chipped away and so yeah. um yeah if i could encourage you to just it's okay to set boundaries it's okay to stay off social media it's okay to have like a family whatever you know if yeah. you had champagne if you drink if you don't drink if you had apple cider like that's Okay, you're still going to heaven. You're not you're not dying. You're not going to hell because, you know, you're happy that we have a black South Asian vice president. Oh, also, also, we've talked a lot about Kamala. I do want to shout out <laughs> Joe Biden. Um, as just I, again, someone who, yeah. who is uh emblematic of this idea of radical empathy, who has suffered so much in his life, his wife, his daughter, his son, who ran for president three times. Yeah. Um, let that be an encouragement <laughs> to persevere, you know, and you don't know what your season is and you think life is over at 30, 35, you know, if you're 55. Yes. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for being 77 and accomplishing something that you wanted at 47. Um, and so I just, yeah, I think to see someone who is going to be kind and, you know, we can not yeah. stress out about what he's tweeting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've, we've taken for granted leadership and empathy. And I know that I noticed that so many people said, wow, like during his speech, I just wasn't triggered. I wasn't nervous. I was like, actually, like somebody was leading us and it felt so good. Um, For that, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful. I was just going to say also too, for the Romans 13 crowd, you know, if we believe God is in control and he establishes who's in authority, he has established who's in authority. Um, And, you know, i prayed for President Trump, I would ask, and I will be praying for President Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. And so I would just ask, you know, to, in the words of the kids, keep that same energy. Let's be praying for our leaders, regardless of their political party, um, and that God's will would be done. Yeah. And I think, like, as we close, I just wanted to say a few words to um, the women of color. Oh my goodness, sisters, just let's just breathe in this moment together. It is just us in the room and we get to smile and hug one another and just to be thankful. Um, it means so much for us to feel seen and for us to celebrate this moment together. And I promise you, if you have no one else to be with you and to celebrate this moment, just imagine yourself with us together, smiling and laughing and having a moment of feeling like you can breathe easy, breathe freely and my hope and prayer for you is that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, what job you find yourself in, what communities you find yourself in, 
If you feel alone, I pray that some sisters are able to come into your life and surround you and fill your soul. And I see you and I'm celebrating with you. And if you have nobody else to celebrate with, celebrate with us because there is space and room here for your joy, for your tears, for your sighs of relief, for your relief of anxiety. Let it go. Allow yourself this moment and it's okay. Yes, yes. We're with you. We are with you. Catherine, I mean... I know. I'm... I first I'm of all, very sorry wow. that I cried for a good time. You don't need to... You <laughs> don't need to be apologizing. I was crying too, mostly like silently over here just, but it just weeping the whole I time. Just, oh gosh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're so thankful that you guys could be with us and, you know, that we could take this moment to kind of unpack what's happened in our country the last week. Um, I feel like we can't do an episode without doing a go off sis. You are so right. I feel like it just... I feel like we have to have one. And so for those of you who don't know, Go Off Sis is our segment where we talk about the things that we're loving and the things that are just a mess. Um, And yeah, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We will be around here and there. um, And you can find us on Patreon. Um, Shout out to all of our Patreon members for supporting us and supporting the podcast. So Faith, I'm going to let you go first. Um, What are you going to go off this week about? I am going to go off this week about, mm, there's just so many things. Okay, before I go off, I want to say thank you to a few people because we have some new um, patrons. Hey, y'all, we see you, okay? Um, I just want to say hey to ACJ and Erica, and I also want to say hey to Jenny. Thank you, Jenny and Rachel. Um, we appreciate you all so much. Thank you for joining the crew and the family. Um, we'll be doing some things while we're on our break for our Patreon um, subscribers. So thank you all so much. My go off. Well, well, well. Aside from what we've talked about um, now, I'm going to say what I have loved is the conversations with my black sisters. I've had like of like a, like one Zoom, a few Zooms and just like laughing and enjoying each other. It has been like so life-giving. We've laughed, we've joked, we've, you know, had moments of tears and it has just felt so freeing. Um, but also I have to say another little piece um, of like goodness was seeing my brother talk to my niece and tell her, look, look, Dini, look, you can see the vice president of the United States is a black South Asian woman and you could be vice president if you wanted to as well. And she was just like, oh, <laughs> and it was just so cute. And I was like, oh, I love it. Like, it just made my, it just warmed my heart. So anyways, community, y'all, community has filled my soul um, in a way that I am so grateful for. Um, something that is a mess. I'm going to say it this way. Um, I believe in math and I'm grateful and I and I pray um, that others will as well. Amen. Selah. The end. Um, okay. So my bless, I wanted to read my blesses, um, I think uh Vice President elect Kamala Harris's acceptance speech. I'm just gonna read a short portion if you haven't read it, um, find it online. Um, but this portion I think really stuck out to me. 
Um, towards the end, she says, but while I may be the first woman in this office, I won't be the last because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. And to the children of our country, regardless of your gender, our country has sent you a clear message. Dream with ambition, lead with conviction, and see yourself in a way that others might not see you simply because they've never seen it before. And we will applaud you every step of the way. So I, you know, for Deanie and all the other little girls and grown women who have felt like, I can't be that because I've never seen that. You have evidence that it's possible. And so I just want to bless all of you and all of your wildest dreams and that um, God can do it. He can accomplish it. So that's my bless. Um, My mess is... Oh, I also wanted to bless the holiday season. If you are a person that has been waiting till after Thanksgiving, normally I'm a very committed Thanksgiving person, but this year, oh, Jesus, put your tree in. That's what Catherine said. Tell y'all, get Mariah Carey all I want for Christmas. Throw your tinsel and your lights, girl. Do what you have to do. Hot cocoa, peppermint flavored. You know, I might be posting some pictures. I've been working this weekend on getting my uh, house looking right because we just please do please post pictures, guys. We need to get this joy where we can. So those are my bless. Um, my mess is. conspiracy theories guys and to say that like there there might have been errors and there might have been um irregularities but to faith's point about math um i just feel like conspiracy theories come from a place of when you don't understand and you feel like you can't articulate exactly why something's happen happening you're prone to conspiracy theories and so i would just say like it's fine to have questions but make sure you're just like checking reputable news sites and it's not just something that you saw on facebook or your friend told you um i'm gonna go back to something i said earlier about discernment like i mean this is the era of misinformation and i think a lot of us maybe don't have the healthiest relationship with technology and social media um but i just would encourage you and and if you know people people that are kind of spiraling into that, that you could be a person that would speak truth um, in love, but encouraged to kind of pull them out of. Because I think the thing is, like, that sort of conspiracy-mindedness, it's not harmless. It does actually have a spiritual effect. It can lead to um, cultish, for lack of a better word, behavior. Um, And I think it can lead you away from Christ, um, the real Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, just everybody be on the lookout. You know, we just, you know, facts matter. Science matters. Truth matters. Let's be people of truth. Amen. May it be so in Jesus' name. <laughs> Say la. That's yes, the prayer. Lord. God, just, do it. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Listen, I, I could say so many more things, but I'm not. We're just going to wrap this up, but let me just say the internet is undefeated and there have been some hilarious things that have happened this week. And just shout out to all the creators and the people making us laugh during the midst of very interesting times. We appreciate you. Thank you for the memes and BuzzFeed for aggregating them all. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also, um, we want to make sure that 
you all know how to stay connected to us. Find us on social media at Melanated Faith. Go back, listen to all of our podcasts while we're on a break. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Rate and review us because that helps more people find out who we are and what we're talking about. So we enjoyed this time talking to you and we will catch you next time. Thank you.